possessing Med Device Unleashed Podcast. Your next level source for all things sales and device. Now, here's your host, Jamie Tipton. Jamie Tipton. Hello, people. In this episode of Med Device Unleashed, we talk with Matt Dixon, who's the co author on multiple books, including The Challenger Sale, The Challenger Customer, and The Effortless Experience. The Challenger Sale has over a half million copies sold and is a New York Times and international bestseller. This book changed my thought process completely and taught me not just to build great relationships, but how to effectively challenge my customers and deliver unprecedented value simultaneously. This conversation was nothing short of spectacular, so let's get to it. Here he is, Matt Dixon. Matt Dixon is here with us, Medical Device Unleashed. Matt, thanks for joining us. Hey, Jamie, it's great to be here with you. Hope you're staying safe and sane out there. Yeah, you too. And I'll tell you, I know we've been going back and forth trying to find a good time for you to, to get on the podcast. And I appreciate your time again. And I will tell you that here on MedDevice Unleashed, we love sales. And there's no better man to have on the podcast than Matt Dixon, the author of The Challenger Sale. I mean, this book, Thanks. just going on a quick tangent, it changed the way I spoke to customers, thought about my business, it changed my interactions on a daily basis, and really kind of propelled my career forward in sales. And really, honestly, it helps me develop a passion for sales. So I appreciate you coming out with the book. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. That's why I do this stuff. It's very powerful to hear folks like yourself say that it's, you know, it's helped them to sell more effectively and to deliver more customer value. So that means a lot. That's what gets me out of bed in the morning. So thank you. No problem. I wanted to ask right away because I know all the listeners are going to want to kind of get a small backstory on it. And also, I re-listened to the entire thing almost twice now during this COVID period. It never hurts to brush up on the Challenger sale. I mean, you won't find a book that it came out in 2011, right, Matt? That's right. The book came out in 11. We started the research. Really, if I go back to the earliest period, there were some kind of early findings in a study we did in 2007 that kind of teed up what became the original Challenger study, which we launched in 2008, we kind of ran it over 2008, 2009. So it was really right in the teeth of the downturn, the last downturn that we all experienced. And then we published the book a couple of years later in 2011. The idea of the Challenger sale just makes a ton of sense. How did this idea develop? Did some people come to you? Did they want the research in 08, 09? How did this idea kind of come to fruition? Great question. So we, at the time, I was running the research practice at a company called Corporate Executive Board. Corporate Executive Board, the way you think about it is sort of like a for-profit think tank. So we assembled networks of senior executives in different corporate functions. So I ran the practice for heads of sales. Back in 08, the way we decided what to go study was we would poll our members. So at the time, we had about 700 heads of sales around the world who subscribed to our research. And we would go out every year and say, hey, what are the big issues keeping you up at night? What are the big challenges out there that you want us to address with our research team? And at the time, you know, we do that poll usually at the end of the year. So we did at the end of 07. And coming into 08, we started to head down a path. I think we're going to study something like sales culture, which seemed like an urgent issue for sales leaders at the time. And then, you know, the whole economy fell apart, (laughs) you know, while we were doing this study it really kind of put us on a different track with our research. And really the question that our, you know, we're heading down this path on sales culture. And and as we talked to our clients, a lot of them were saying, you know, 
I'm actually now less interested in that. What I'm more interested in is trying to figure out what is the answer to a pretty pressing question. You know, it was a time, as you recall, where, and it's very similar to the time we're in right now, where salespeople were missing their numbers. It was very hard to engage with customers and to get time with them, to earn the mind share and so on and so forth. And this was a time where sales leaders were saying, hey, we need help trying to figure out what is it that our best sellers are, are saying and doing that we might be able to teach everyone else to say and to do. What are the techniques that our best salespeople are using right now to continue to be successful despite the really tough selling environment that they found themselves in? So we kind of scrapped the sales culture study and we embarked on a study of seller effectiveness. That became the core of the challenger research. So, you know, as we'll talk about, we found that, you know, surprisingly all of the salespeople in the world fall into those five different profiles we talked about. And the big shock was that the one that won, the one that came in top was the one that most sales leaders wouldn't have expected to be the winner. In fact, the one they expected to be the winner came in dead last. And so it was a big, it was a big shock, but it was really kind of a gut punch to the conventional wisdom out there in sales. Yeah, Matt, that's a great lead in to what I was going to talk about next, which was the relationship builder. Because if I remember correctly, that's last, correct? That's right. That's right. Yeah, we had five profiles. You had challengers, relationship builders, problem solvers, lone wolves, and hard workers. The two that most people focus in on are the challenger because, again, as we'll talk about, they came out on top. But the one that most sales leaders expected to come on top or to finish you know, as the highest percentage of high performers out there was the relationship builder. Now, I want to be careful because you know sometimes we are criticized for kind of creating a, if you will, a straw man or paper tiger kind of argument here. Yeah, people hear the term relationship builder and they get in their head this sort of glad handing, you know, round of golf, leisurely lunch, you know, luxury box at the sports game kind of salesperson. And, you know, that stuff does happen from time to time in B2B sales, as we know. But that's not really who we're talking about. What we're talking about is a seller who is really good at selling the way that salespeople have been taught to sell for at least the last 30 or 40 years, which is to go in and ask really good questions to diagnose the customer's needs to understand what's keeping that customer up at night, and then to prescribe a solution, whether it's a product or it's a service or it's products wrapped in layers of service, whatever it is, that will actually address the thing that's keeping the customer up at night. You know, that's the core of the classic kind of solution selling approach. And what we found was that relationship builder actually comes in dead last. They were the least likely to be a high performer in our analysis. And the most likely was the challenger. And again, one, we'll talk a little bit more about you know who these challengers are. But yeah, that was a big surprise because again, sales leaders around the world, they had been hiring these relationship builders. They'd been getting up at the sales kickoff and saying, telling everyone to go out and build deeper relationships with customers, you know, find out what's keeping that customer up at night, address what's keeping them up at night, build a moat around that customer, walk a mile in the customer's shoes, you know, all this stuff that salespeople were told to do for a really long time. And they found, you know, they placed a really big bet on the horse uh, least likely to win the race, if you'll uh, pardon the expression. Just to kind of, and I know you're not in the medical device industry, obviously, but those points right there are extremely interesting and pertinent to the medical device sales industry. And here's why. Because a lot of times companies will go, let's just say you have a certain product, right, that you're selling. And you go to a competitor. Well, a lot of times, Matt, they'll say, all right, well, what relationships do you have? Yeah. What are you bringing over? What business can you bring over? Essentially saying, at least through my eyes, saying, okay, you have these relationships. What kind of business can you drive 
through your relationship building skills, right? How deep are your relationships? How good are your relationships? And in my opinion, although sometimes that works out, Matt, I think the challenger portion, so, and I was just talking to a colleague about this yesterday. I think that being a challenger, if you adopt those values and those methods, if you deliver those things to the customer, you build a different type of relationship with that customer. Yeah, that's right. So you're kind of a relationship builder in your own respect. Does that make sense? It totally does. And you know, here's the thing is, I would say, I think there's a little bit of a misnomer or maybe misperception around the challenger work is that, you know, we can junk the relationship. Like that's not an important part of selling. And as we know, you know, the old adage goes that people sell to people. So it is at the end of the day about relationships, you know, sellers and their relationships with customers. It's not a story that tells us and the research doesn't tell us that relationships don't matter. What it tells us actually is very much in line with what you're saying, which is the nature of the relationship has really changed. What for us began as a study of seller effectiveness in the downturn, which I think, again, the research has a lot to teach us about selling in the downturn. It became actually a bigger story as we continued to validate this work over the years. And we found that, you know, challengers continued to win even when, you know, the economy started roaring back. And what it told us was, Challengers actually are really good at selling to information-empowered customers. So they understand that the customer is already kind of making up their mind about what medical devices they need, right? They're already making up their mind about different suppliers and vendors out there. And by the time they reach out to the salesperson, you know, they've kind of built this mental model. They've, they've made a lot of decisions about what they need. They've made a lot of decisions about who you are as a company and what your products can do for them what your devices can deliver in terms of value. And, you know, to win in that environment, because that's a really tough place for any salesperson to be, because that means that all we do is really just compete on price. The customers made up their mind, they reach out to the salesperson, and then they force us to compete on price. And what challengers have figured out on their own is that the way you back that up, the way you engage customers early, the way you shape the way the customer thinks is by creating a relationship not built on diagnosing what's keeping that customer up at night, but instead built on showing the customer what should be keeping them up at night, bringing those insights that change the way the customers think, not about you, but about their own business and their own needs, their own customers, their own opportunities, the risks, the rewards, so on and so forth. And by doing that, you reshape the buying criteria in your favor. So we call that, it's a teaching-based sales approach. We call it commercial teaching because it's not free consulting, as you know. We're trying to sell stuff ultimately. But what we're really trying to do and what challengers do is they show customers opportunities that the customer themselves didn't even know about, that they hadn't considered, and they shape the buying criteria in their favor so that they become the only logical solution to solve for the problem that they taught the customers out there in the first place. But again, it's still a relationship, but it's a relationship built on insight, not just on doing whatever customers ask us to do and not on just diagnosing their needs. That's awesome, man. And that's spot on. And I will tell you, when you go in and speak to a physician and you're creating that almost like constructive tension, that's one of my favorite things in the book is constructive tension. You deliver the right insights that creates a good tension with the customer because most people run from tension. Most sales reps, they don't want it. They're uncomfortable with it. They think the sales going south. As soon as there's a little bit of tension in the room, they try and diffuse the situation. When in fact, if you just create the tension, sit back and listen, 
to what the customer says, you go a million more miles than you thought you could ever go with the customer. Yeah. The value is just through the roof because now you're talking about something that he or she, I mean, maybe it keeps them up, but you're teaching them something about their business they didn't know, which is uncomfortable to them, but at the same time intriguing. And so you go to a new level, so to speak, with the customer, I think, learn how to create constructive tension and something I still work on today. It's hard. You know, it doesn't come naturally, I think, to a lot of people, especially to, you know, to those relationship builder salespeople who, you know, they're looking for the customer to agree with them. They're not looking for the customer to disagree with them. But if you do this right, you are going to create disagreement. You're going to create those moments that, as you described them, they are moments of constructive tension. It's positive. It's not about, you know, being a jerk or being rude and obnoxious. It's about bringing up ideas that the customer hadn't considered before and that they're probably going to reject out of hand and they might wave away and say, well, no, that's not, that's not really relevant to me. That's not really relevant to my practice or to my business or to my department in the hospital or whatever the buyer's mindset is. And engaging in that and getting them to effectively to blink or to do a double take, you know, to lean forward, that's the moment that challengers live for because what they know is it's in that moment that the customer is intellectually engaged in the conversation. You know, if the customer is simply agreeing with everything you say, they're probably not listening very carefully. Or as you may know, you know, we wrote a follow-up book called The Challenger Customer, and it may actually be that you're selling to the wrong person because we know that they're different buyer types, just like there are different seller types. And one of the things challengers do really well is they target those challenger customers. We call them mobilizers. You know, they're looking for the people who react in that way they're looking for when those moments of constructive tension are created, that they lean forward that they want to engage in the debate, that they're actively listening to what you're saying. You've got them, right? And that's the thing that the challenger lives for. They don't want the customer to just smile and agree and say, boy, you guys are very, very smart. You know, Couldn't agree more because then they know, well, either I'm not saying anything very insightful or very provocative, I'm not creating any tension, or maybe this is the wrong person to be selling to. You know, in the challenger, it's particularly in medical device sales, right? I mean, MedDevice Unleashed, this is this is the industry we are primarily focused on, is that when you're dealing with kind of delivering value and almost delivering the right insights and they're leaning in, so to speak. So you're saying the challenger lives for that lean-in moment. So when you get that lean-in moment, you're on a new level with the customer and they actually see you as an extension of their practice. That's right. That physician sees you as you're coming in. Hey, Jamie's not just going to in here talking to me about golf and what we're going to do, or maybe Jamie's not in here just talking to me about, you know, what he ate last night for dinner. Jamie's in here telling me something about my business that I didn't know before. And that's going to help me, whatever it is, make money, get new patients, help my ambulatory surgery center out that needs more surgeries, or I'm looking for partners. Or, you know, there's a million different facets in the healthcare industry that Frankly, if you're selling to healthcare professionals like we are, you need to understand a lot of those facets, those ins and outs, and develop your own insights. Yeah, you're totally right. And it's really well put. I mean, there's a term, as you know, in sales called you know the trusted advisor. And I think in many respects, that's really kind of what we're talking about. The challenger really does become that trusted advisor to the customer, right? They're seen as an extension of their team. They're seen as a trusted voice and a trusted consultant or person who's offering value on their business, right? Not just a nice person to talk to or to catch up with over a round of golf or, you know, talk about the game last night. That stuff is all nice, of course, but they see this person as delivering unique value. You know, one of the things we find, as I mentioned before, you look at customer buying behavior and it's really changed dramatically over the last 10 or 20 years. 
with so much information available online about our companies and about our products and services, there's so much that customers can learn before they ever meet with the salesperson. And as I mentioned uh, before, you know, our research shows that the average customer is almost 60% of the way through their buying journey before they ever reach out and talk to a seller. And they've made up their mind about almost everything. But those salespeople who can bring that insight to the customer, the customer calls them first before they make up their mind, before they do any research. They say, you know what? I'm going to call Jamie because every time I sit down with him, he brings a unique perspective about how I need to run my business, you know, how I need to run my practice or my department and what it means for me, what it means for my patients, what it means for my employees, et cetera. And it's powerful. And it always opens my eyes to other opportunities that maybe I'm not thinking about before. So yeah, I'm going to go do a lot of research. You know, if you're a big company, you might even throw together an RFP and run that process. But I'm going to talk to Jamie first because he's always got a point of view and I always learn something. That's the currency of the relationship today. You know, one of the things we found in the data was challengers actually are also very good relationship builders. They major in challenging, but they minor in relationship building. So what it tells us is that challengers use the relationship as a means to an end. They don't use the relationship as an end unto itself. They know, look, if the customer doesn't like them, they're not going to even get in the front door, right? They're not going to get any time with that customer. You got to be likable. You got to be generous. You got to, you know, sometimes you have to do what the customer asks you to do. But they also understand that the currency of the relationship today is built on insight. And it's only those customers or those salespeople who can deliver insight that create those truly long-lasting relationships with customers, relationships where the customer calls you before they move a muscle, relationships where the customer gives you an opportunity to shape the RFP before it comes out, You know, relationships where they want to connect with you because you're going to bring something of value and you're going to bring insight that they don't have access to every time you meet. That's the kind of relationship we're talking about today. And I think the doctors as well, to your point, they're going to come to you first. They're also going to talk to their colleagues, right? The people they graduated with, the the other physicians and the other staff they may work with in the surgery centers who know people. And, you know, your network grows inherently through this because you become their trusted advisor, their challenger. I mean, they probably think of you as an advisor, right? To some degree, you can gain a lot through challenging them, right? With your relationship and obviously selling more products, but I think you get other opportunities down the road with other potential customers because... The word gets out. The word gets out, right. Yeah, you create a brand for yourself in the market. So when they're playing golf with other practitioners and other folks in the same field, boy, have you met with Jamie? Because he's got some interesting perspective on you know X, Y, or Z topic. You should make some time for him. So you create that brand in the marketplace. The other thing, you know, there's a old adage in sales, another one, which is you know you get delegated down to the person you sound like. And so what we often find is those relationship builders, while their hearts are in the right place, they're not delivering that value to the customer. They're reactive, they're responsive, they're generous, they're likable, but they don't keep the conversation elevated. They're not talking to the head of the business. They're not talking to the owner of the business. They're not talking to the head of the department in the hospital or the CFO or the head of procurement or the person you know, we really want to be engaged with. They get delegated down because they don't sound like those senior people. And so you know, if all you're doing is coming in and asking open-ended questions and talking about features and benefits or feeds and speeds and, you know, saying yes whenever the customer asks you to jump, that's not really a senior level relationship. That's not a relationship built on true business insight. It's certainly not a trusted advisor relationship that a senior leader wants to have. And so you got to be really careful that you don't kind of get pushed down because that senior leader concludes, this conversation with you is not worth my time. I'm going to dish you off on somebody more junior and let them talk to you. Because my time is worth a lot of money and I'm very busy and you are not adding value as a seller. And unless you do, I'm going to dish you off to somebody else. 
And you can't blame him, right? You can't blame him or her for doing that. You know, a lot of times in this business, Matt, we deal with obviously physicians, right? That's the primary thing we deal with. But we also deal a fair amount in the office. And so that physician has a team of people, a critical team at that to his business. And that's within his office space. Okay. So when we go into his office, you know, if we don't have the buy-in and we don't have the support from his scheduler, from the MAs, from his advanced practitioners, his PAs, his NPs, it makes the medical device sales rep's job inherently more difficult. And so where I find this book is, it's incredible in so many ways, Matt. But one thing that I took away after the first time, and you guys actually came in and did, CEB came into a company that I worked for and did a presentation, which is how I got introduced to this Ah, back in 2011. It was very early on in my sales career. I mean, I graduated from college in 2010. So I noticed talkers. Okay. So you talk about talkers and those subgroups, friends, guides, climbers. Yep. And when I walk into an office and I have to just one level, when I walk into an office now, I try and dissect down to who's a guide, who's a friend and who's a climber. Climbers, you want to hit the road. Oh yeah. My question to you is friends and guides. Can I make a friend, someone who I come into the office, we're friends. I talk to him or her. It's an MA per se. You know, I know her family really well. You know, I talk to her about her husband or him about his wife, et cetera, et cetera. Can I take that friend who says, hey, yeah, I'll help you out, but never does anything. Can I make them a guide? Can I make them someone that wants to help me? Yeah, it's an interesting question. You know, the one thing we find is, you know, mobilizers versus talkers. So those are the two, just to recap a little bit for the listeners. I think folks, we've been talking about the challenger research, which was a study of salespeople. And we found those five types of reps that I mentioned before. We, a couple of years later, I think one of the shortcomings of the challenger sale is that it was really, it's kind of, you get down to it, it's really about a great first sales meeting. But there's a lot that happens after that first sales meeting to get to the signed deal, right? To actually sell something. In many respects, that's where the hard work of selling really happens. And a lot of that hard work comes down to making sure you are engaging the right people and you're helping that team build consensus, right? Because that senior decision maker is probably not going to go and sign on the dotted line with you without getting, you know, the office coordinator and the MA and the other folks in the department or in the office to agree. They're going to seek everyone's opinion and they're going to want to build consensus. And the key is, and what we found in this following research is that challengers, part of the reason they're really successful, not beyond the first sales meeting, but the reason they actually ultimately sell more is not just because they engage with insight and they build constructive tension, they do all those things early on, but that they actually are really good at doing what you are talking about, which is identifying who is the person I should be selling to. So, you know, I may have a lot of people in this office, but who's the person I want to hitch my wagon to? And at the highest level, we actually found seven different customer profiles. They kind of break into three big buckets. You got mobilizers. These are actually the folks you want to talk to. You've got go-getters, teachers, and skeptics in that category. And then on the talker category, those are the folks you don't want to be selling to, the friends, the guides, and the climbers. And then there's a third category called blockers. And you know, blockers are, we all know these folks. These are the folks you call up or you kind of go visit them in the office and they say, yep, no, call me next year, not interested. We just went through a major upgrade of our equipment or we just you know, signed a long-term contract with this one of your competitors or what have you. We got a big reorg going on. We're too busy. You can't bother us right now. Take your stuff, put it back in your bag and call us some other time. But if we look at those, obviously what we find is challengers sell to mobilizers. They basically look for people like them. They're looking for 
people who are skeptical, who are motivated by ideas, who can get things done. That's your go-getters, your teachers, and your skeptics. But when you talk about those talkers, so those talkers, you've got friends, guides, and climbers. And the climbers, you mentioned, you're doing exactly the right thing, which is, you know, when you find the climber, the climber, to be clear, that's the WIFM person. You know, what's in it for me? They're on board with helping you out as long as it means, you know, a promotion for them or increasing their importance in the office or their fiefdom gets bigger or whatever it is. And the problem with those folks, obviously, is if you know they're a climber, then all their colleagues also know they're a climber and they basically know that you're only in it for yourself and nobody likes climbers. So you're right. You got to run, don't walk in the other direction. Don't associate yourself with that climber. But the two other ones are interesting in that talker category. You've got your guides and your friends. The friend is who they sound like. They're friendly and generous with their time, always willing to let the meeting go a little long, call you when they're in town, even though if they're not in your area, but they'll call you up just to check in. They'll want to go grab a drink at the industry conference because they know you're there and they just want to catch up and reconnect and compare notes. Your guides, guides are a little bit different. They're all about dishing the dirt with the salesperson. So they're really good at telling you, you know, hey, yeah, there's 25 people in this office, but people you really need to get on board if you want to sell this solution to our practice is like this person, this person, that person. Here's why. By the way, don't talk to that person because he doesn't know if he's going to get fired next week. They kind of overshare in some ways. And uh, sometimes that makes us a little bit uncomfortable, right? We wish we didn't know that. But it's a really good question. I would tell you that at the end of the day, there's actually nothing wrong with engaging friends and guides. They can provide a lot of information that can be very valuable to you as a salesperson. The problem with those folks is you don't want to have them be your key stakeholder. You don't want to have them be your, if you will, your champion, the person who's going to drive the deal across the finish line. Ultimately, you know, when the conference door gets closed and you're not in there for the debate and everyone's voicing different opinions about your device and your solution, you know, who is the person you're going to hit your wagon to? And what challengers have figured out is you need a challenger on the customer side to go and get the job done for you. And those guides and those friends they can be really great. They're nice people. They give you great information that you can use to really craft your pitch and put the best offer on the table, but they're not going to stick their necks out when the group starts to disagree. And those groups will always disagree and default to those lowest common denominator positions. Like, let's not change suppliers. Let's not buy this expensive device. Let's just use what we use currently. You know, let's stay the course. Let's save money. Let's not rock the boat. Let's avoid disruption. That's what those people do. And your friends and your guides are not going to disagree with the group. They're just going to sip their coffee and, and then they'll come back and they'll call you up and say, hey, Jamie, I'm really sorry, but you know, the group couldn't come to an agreement. All they could agree on is like, not right now, you know, which is not what you want to hear. Right. <laughs> you need that mobilizer to be your proxy on the customer side. I think a lot of reps, it's probably not just singling out the medical device side, but I think a lot of reps in general, whether you're B2B and selling to whoever, I think that this is where reps get caught up is that they bang their head against the wall with the friends and the guides because those people can kind of put a mask on Matt in a way because you don't know when you're gone in their meetings like you said they're sipping their coffee you want somebody who's going to stand up who'll look at you and tell you I want you to do this I'd love to help you here's how you can do it key is I listen to what they say to me when they say here's how you can do it I want somebody that says here's how we can do it yeah that's right you got to be mindful of that, right? That's a really important tell that you've hit on here. And it's such a hard thing to pick up on. You know, we've been taught for so long in sales, like we want to find the person who has skin in the game, you know, because if they benefit from us winning, then they're going to push hard to get the deal done. But you got to be really careful because, you know, when people talk about you or they talk about what it means for them personally, 
instead of what it means for us, what it means for our organization, what it means for our team, you know, for our company. That's really what you want to look for because that's the tell. That's the person whose heart and mind are in the right place. They are about what benefits everybody, not just themselves, not just you as a salesperson, but what's going to benefit their company. And so, yeah, active listening is so important when you meet with those folks. And I think you can probably test this, Jamie, but the more practice you get doing it, I suspect you're really good right now at walking in that practice, even a practice you've never met with before. And within a couple of meetings, a couple of handshake, quick conversations of pegging exactly who everybody is and what profile they fall into. It can drive you crazy though, Matt. In the beginning, when you first get started with the Challenger, wonderful concept, but it's also like you go in and you kind of overthink. Yeah. I remember going in the offices and I'm overthinking. I'm like talking to Becky, the MA, you know, sitting down. I'm like, and I leave and I'm like, she's a climber. She's got to be a climber. You know, you try to over strategize and you figure it out eventually, right? But it's so effective, especially when I'm talking about the medical device sales role and the consensus selling we do now. I mean, it's there's always been some consensus. It's only gotten more intensified as we've gotten deeper since I've been in sales, at least since 2011. I mean, everybody's buying. I'm talking about you know the C-suite's one thing, right? If you're going in to talk to a, a hospital CEO, of course they're going to get buy-in from the CFO, the COO, maybe the OR manager, the OR director, you know, all those people. And it's that much harder and that much more strategic to have to push a product through. I mean, I don't care if you're selling a piece of paper to them or a high-priced, you know, C-arm for imaging. The sooner that you embrace the fact that you're going to have to get in there and get your hands dirty, not just with one, maybe with six people and say, okay, I've got to figure this game out because if I don't, this deal's stuck. It's stuck and it's not going to move forward. That's right. We call that the solutions graveyard when you know it's where good ideas and good insights and good solutions, good first meetings kind of go to die. You got to work it. You have to make those connections. You have to understand the lay of the land in terms of the different stakeholder types. You've also got to, you know, one of the other things we talk about in the book, Jamie, you may remember this, but the truth is like our customers, they don't ever train their employees on how to buy stuff, right? There's no class they go to where they learn how to buy medical devices. They may learn some of those skills and learn how that works over time through just job experience. But the truth is that if you're talking about like a really expensive device or solution, these people may only buy it once in their career. And so they don't have a lot of experience. They don't know nearly as much about buying this stuff as you do as a salesperson. You know, And there's this old concept in sales that you know, we've got to go and find our coach in the customer organization. What that suggests is you've got to find the customer who can coach you on how to sell to their company, how to sell to their hospital, how to sell to their practice. But what it misses is that, again, customers don't know how to buy. And so we find is that best sellers, challengers, they don't look for that person to coach them on how to sell to the customer organization. Instead, they coach the customer on how to buy. And so they're not just finding that mobilizer and they're really good at understanding, you know, okay, this person's a blocker, this person's a talker, that person's a mobilizer, but they're also really good at equipping that person with the insight they have about how to buy the solution. Okay, here are the people we're going to need to engage. We're going to want to pull the, you know, the IT director in at this point. We might as well get legal and procurement in here right now because it'll help things move faster later. Let's try to get a group of practitioners in your department together so we can do a pilot and test and make sure we got everything lined up for the training on the new equipment, whatever it is. But you are in a much better position to advise that customer to teach them how to buy your solution. Actually, one of the things we found in the research is a little bit buried in the challenger sale, but 
one of the things we found is that you know, leading suppliers and leading salespeople help the customer see the supplier as easy to buy from. You're easy to do business with. And part of that comes from the fact that you don't put the work on the customer to figure this out, how to buy your complex and expensive solution. You help them out. You guide them along the way. And these overwhelmed customers, they're not going to go and figure it out. They're not going to put a lot of effort into figuring it out. But it's those sellers who can prescribe and guide for the customer how to buy their solution who do a lot better. And that turns out to be a, very much a challenger behavior. And it makes all the difference. I'm listening to you talk, and I know that listeners are probably thinking the same thing too. I mean, I want to get out there and try and sell something right now. Yeah. <laughs> I want to get off this podcast and go out in the field. I mean, this gets me very hyped up. And I'll tell you, this challenger sale mentality, and it is a mentality, it's pretty wild to me. And we kind of touched on it way in the beginning that a book that came out in 2011, we're looking at this thing in 2020, and it's so pertinent. Yeah, It's so pertinent and it makes so much sense to employ these tactics and these strategies. It's the only way to win in this environment. Yeah, I found challengers, there was a, obviously a big kind of burst of interest when it first came out, which was right at sort of as we were coming out of the downturn, but still not, a, you know, 2011, still in many industries, still a tough sales environment because financial crisis had lasting effects for many years. But I'm finding a big kind of resurgence of interest now that we're in this pandemic environment because it's very similar. It's different in some respects and arguably it's deeper. It's more painfully felt by a lot of our customers, but it has a lot of similar attributes to what we went through before. I would say that there's a lot that can be taken away from Challenger about how to change that dialogue. Because, you know, again, we're in an environment where most sellers are, you know, they're fighting for mindshare. They're trying to get in with that customer. These customers are heads down, right? They're busy. Think about a lot of these customers in many places. This is just starting to change now, but with like non-elective procedures uh, not taking place for a long time, right? It's only emergency and uh, kind of critical care type of work that's happening. That's led to people letting office staff go or furloughing some of their employees. It's meant that it's harder to just find time with those doctors, to find time with those department heads and those practitioners in the practice. And not only that, but the conversion rates are lower, right? People are very risk averse right now. Cash is king and people aren't going to go and spend money. Yeah, I've got an older piece of equipment and sure, but, you know, okay, fine. I agree that things would be better. I'd save money. I'd make money. I'd avoid risk, so on and so forth if I bought this new piece of equipment from you, but cash is king and I don't know when this thing's going to be over. And so in that environment, what we find is challengers do well selling solutions to information powered customers all the time. Where they really perform well is when things are really, really tough like they are right now and like they were back in 08, 09, 2010. Matt, I got a question for you. This is very random, but I want to ask you. Yeah. Have you been in sales before? Have you been in like a major sales role and carried the bag or what's your career history? Yeah, I'm on a lot of sales calls, but I'm not a salesperson. I've actually never been a salesperson. I've never run a sales team, never carried a bag. And, you know, I think in some ways that's, kind of what makes Challenger and some of the other work unique is that there's so much written about sales. There are just thousands or millions of books and articles out there about sales effectiveness and how to up your game. And almost all of those, with a few exceptions, I think, all come from the perspective of the individual writing the book or the individual writing the article, right? It's, hey, in my 30 years of being a high-performing salesperson, here's my recipe for success. Here's how you execute a complex sale. That can be valuable insight. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's a sample size of one, right? It's one person's approach. Those are books and articles written by sales experts. 
and people who've carried a bag, people who've led sales organizations, people who've done sales. I'm not a seller. I've never been a salesperson, but I'm a researcher. And so we came at this question of sales high performance from a very different posture, which is we brought data to bear to test some of the assumptions that, you know, candidly, nobody in sales for a really long time stopped to ask whether they were still true, you know? And so we brought a different, more of a research lens on sales. And I think doing so really opened a lot of people's eyes and did test some of the assumptions. Some of them are right, but a lot of them turns out are wrong or are no longer true, I should say. is probably the best way to put it. And again, that's not to put down folks who are writing from the point of view of personal experience or personal opinion. There's a place for that. But I think in sales, just like in any other functional area, we've got to go out and we've got to be clear-eyed about our assumptions and about the way we do things, test those things with data. And if the data doesn't bear it out, we should be open to changing what we're doing. That's very much what we found in both the challenger and the challenger customer. So yeah, no, it's not from a personal experience perspective, you know, me opining about sales, but much more from a research and database perspective. And for me too, that's perfect because that's refreshing to some degree, because when you really look at the data behind, and you've spoken to it this entire conversation, but I think, didn't you guys interview over a half million high-performing sales reps? So the original book was actually written on a sample of 6,000 sellers. So it was a big sample, but it wasn't as big as the one we actually ended up accumulating over the years. So what happened was, you know, we wrote the book and then there was this huge, you know, wave of interest in Challenger. And so we had a lot of companies reach out to us and say, hey, I'd like to do this assessment of my sellers, you know, my sales force. So I know, you know, how many relationship builders I have, who are my challengers, so on and so forth. And so we collected data on hundreds and hundreds of thousands of sellers over the years. And when we left, yeah, that was around where we were. I think it was probably closer to like 750,000 sellers. I think maybe even plus a million today. Wow. There's a company out there called Challenger Inc. They actually continue to run this assessment. They do challenger training and things like that. And so I think they continue to collect the data and to test and to validate. And, you know, that's allowed them to now start to look at, you know, how do these things play out in different industries? You know, are there differences at the margins in what percentage of challengers we find, for instance, in med devices versus in financial services or manufacturing or chemicals in other industries? You know, how does this play out in different geographies? You know, because being a challenger is different in North America than it would be in Asia or in, in Europe, for instance. And so it's allowed us to get to a much deeper view around how this actually plays out. And it led to follow-on research like the challenger customer as well. So in addition to the challenger customer, is there any future projects that you have in mind? I know that you're with Tether now, and I want yeah, you to talk yeah. about Tether here in a few, but talk to us about any kind of projects you might have going on or you know what you're into now. Yeah, sure. So I work at Tether, which is an AI and machine learning company in Austin, Texas. And basically at the highest level, what we do is we take unstructured data and we surface insight from those data sources. So for instance, we work with companies, you know, companies will send us all their call recordings from their call center and we will help them transcribe and use machine learning to understand the kind of experience they're delivering to their customers. You know, what do customers like and dislike? What are the things they're getting to buy or to turn out? You know, what are the things that agents and, and frontline employees are doing to engage customers in a positive or negative way? That's kind of what we're doing. We do that with email exchanges, with text interactions, case data, so on and so forth. One of the things we're working on now is actually to look at unstructured data as it pertains to sales. You know, if we think about it for a moment, we are in maybe a 
truly unique moment in time in the world of professional sales. You know, there's always been this mystery out there in sales, which is what really happens inside the customer's office. We've got inside, we've got hypotheses, we've got research out there, but what are my high performers saying and doing in the customer's office that makes them so successful? You know, when they're presenting to the buying committee, and well, you know, what does that sound like? And it's always been really hard, if not impossible, to find that out. You know, yes, a sales manager can do a ride along once in a while with their sellers and go be a fly on the wall. But, you know, a lot of that stuff happened in the customer's office. It happened in the, the medical office or in the hospital, and it was out of sight, out of mind. But today we're in this truly unique time where 100% of sales conversations are happening on Zoom, you know, in WebEx and go to meeting and hangouts and stuff like that, which means that there's this really unique opportunity to actually record those conversations and study them in a way we never could before. Now, I personally hope that this is a one-time thing and that we go back to you know visiting clients in their offices and flying in airplanes and driving in rental cars and things like that and get back to some semblance of normal in sales. But I think there is a really powerful opportunity right now to study sales in a very unique way because you know back when we wrote Challenger, that was a study, as I said, we wrote the book on a sample of 6,000 sellers and we used surveys to evaluate those salespeople. We did a lot of interviews. It was really labor intensive and, and very manual. You know, think about that fast forward to today where we have the ability to record on virtual platforms like Zoom. We can transcribe, turn those recordings into text, and then we can use machine learning to understand what's going on and to do it across not 6,000 salespeople, but millions of sales conversations. So it allows us to then go test, hey, what does it really sound like when somebody creates constructive tension? How does the customer respond? What are some of those verbal tells that tell you whether you've got a mobilizer, a talker, or, or a blocker that you're engaged with? You know, all these kinds of things that you know, we've got good data and good research on, but there's an opportunity, I think, now to really put some teeth to it by studying sales in this very kind of unique way using sales conversations. So that's something that we are working on right now. We've got a project underway. And so I don't know when it'll be over and I, I don't know what the results will be, but we're pretty excited about it. Listen, that's some high level stuff right there, Matt. My mind's blown. <laughs> and you are right, though. I mean, it is crazy what today you can do. And like you said, I mean, look, hopefully we don't you know, have to do Zoom calls forever. And, and I do personally think that there are going to be more Zoom meetings naturally, even when we go back to some normalcy here. In the U.S., I think that people are now kind of maybe exposed to Zoom and some of these other platforms more and that they might have enjoyed and thought that they got a little more out of them than they thought they could prior to using them. So I think that you could see some more Zoom stuff down the road and some online platforms. But it's exciting to hear from you. And, and I can tell you're extremely passionate about this stuff. But I'll tell you, Matt, you're phenomenal at what you do. But I feel like you could have been a director of sales somewhere. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. I think you might have missed your second calling, man. I don't know, maybe. I have a tremendous amount of respect for people who do carry a bag and who do do that for a living. And obviously, you know, one of my favorite things is spending time with salespeople and sales leaders and sales teams just to hear their stories. And this has been really valuable for me too, because it's great to hear, you know, how you think about how this research applies in the field of medical device sales. And so that gives me examples and vernacular and, and things like that just really enriches my own understanding of how this stuff actually plays out in real life. I wanted to ask before we go, we're running out of time, but I wanted to ask this because I think this would get a lot of benefit to the listeners. I'm a sales rep, okay? And I feel like I'm not really challenging my customer. And I haven't read the Challenger sale and I plan on reading it. What's some advice, Matt? Just a couple things that you would give somebody who says, I want to kind of change the way I'm talking to customers. What are some quick things 
the sales reps can do to just, I mean, obviously you're not going to be a full-blown challenger. Like you need to go out and get the book and read the whole thing, but maybe some tidbits. Yeah, sure. The first thing I think the easier thing, which is interesting is I think some of this stuff we're talking about with mobilizers and talkers and really, you know, doing some active listening to understand what kind of customer stakeholders you're dealing with is actually almost easier than some of the challenger stuff because it doesn't really require that you change how you sell. And if you can at least make sure you're selling to the right person, you're one step ahead of the game. So I would almost encourage people to take a look at that if they're really interested in some quick hit guidance. There was an article we wrote in Harvard Business Review called The End of Solution Sales. And that was an article that really profiled some of that research. It provided an overview of Challenger, but it also spoke about customer stakeholder research, which we later wrote about in the Challenger Customer, the sequel book. But that's a really quick read. It'll give you a good roadmap for finding your mobilizers, your talkers, your blockers, and giving you a little bit of guidance about how to engage those folks. You can put that stuff to work right away. One of the things you got to keep in mind, though, is that mobilizers, you know, they mobilize for insights. They mobilize for ideas. They don't mobilize for you or your product. They mobilize because you've said something of value. So you can't sidestep the challenger part of the story. But what I tell you is, you know, when you're thinking about that question of like, hey, I feel like I'm not challenging my customers. Here's something to ask yourself. Rather than walking into your customer's office and sitting down with them and closing the door or being on a Zoom, we are today, and saying, hey, you know, so I'm so-and-so with this company and just want to understand, you know, what's keeping you up at night these days, which is, again, that's the way almost every seller leads or some version of that question. That's the way we lead our sales conversation after the small talk, after some quick introductions and, hey, just like to learn a little bit more about you guys and what you're working on, what's important, what's keeping you up at night. Instead of doing that, try leading the conversation with a hypothesis. So don't ask the customer what's keeping them up at night, but share with them what you think might be keeping them up at night. So we call that a warmer, as you remember, in the challenger sale. So talk to them about you know the other medical practices that you're talking to in the same practice area, in the same field. Talk to them about the other hospitals you're selling to. Talk to them about the other hospital CFOs or CEOs you're talking to. You know, here are the kind of things they're working on right now. Am I in the right ballpark? You know, how does that sound? Because what you'll find is it creates a different dynamic right away. The customer's thinking, at least you didn't ask me what's keeping me up at night, because I hate that. because uh, you put the job as selling on my leg. But you know, you did a little bit of homework. You were thoughtful. You didn't get it 100% right. The goal is not to be 100% right or to be clairvoyant, but you're taking a stab at it. The second thing is to ask yourself, what are the things that your best customers know about your products and services, the things that they know about their business? Or what is the thing that you know about the way these practices should be doing business, the way they should be running themselves, the kinds of needs that they should be addressing that you know that you wish they knew? And how can you share that in a way that helps the customer think differently? about their own opportunities. We call that the reframe moment. So, you know, those two are things that really encourage people to think about is just avoid that temptation to put the job of selling on the customer's plate and ask them what's keeping them up at night, put a hypothesis on the table. And then think about, boy, what's the idea I wish these guys valued? What's the thing I wish they saw? Because if they appreciated that, they would see us as by far the best choice for their practice or for their hospital. And ask yourself that question, that's your reframe. And so those things you can do Like you said, it's not going to turn you into a challenger overnight, but you'll find it'll change the feel in a positive way for your sales conversations. Matt, that's exactly what the listeners are looking for. It's what I was looking for. This conversation has been out of control. Awesome. (laughs) This is the kind of stuff that honestly, I get up and I just love sales. I mean, it's what I do for a living, obviously, but I'm extremely passionate about it. And your book, I talked to a couple people before getting on and multiple times your book has been referenced as literally the Bible of medical device sales. 
Oh, wow. That's pretty humble. That's what we're working with here. So it's really awesome to have you on. Your insights are incredible. It's just been a pleasure. And I know the listeners are going to get a ton out of this, man. So I really appreciate you coming on and spending some time with us at MedDevice Unleashed. Is there anything you want to tell the audience as far as where they can contact you, where they can find you or anything like that? I encourage everyone to connect with me on LinkedIn. On LinkedIn, I'm pretty active there. Shoot me an invite. Tell me you heard the podcast and what you thought. And let's stay connected. Let's keep the dialogue going. And then if you want to learn more about Tether, we're at tether.com. That's T-E-T-H-R.com. That's the AI and machine learning company where I am right now. So uh, you can check us out there. Uh, Reach out if you're interested in this sales research project that we're running. We'd be happy to fill you in. Awesome, Matt. Take care of yourself. We'll talk to you soon, sir. Okay, take care, Jimmy. Thank you.